In God we trust. Would you um, join me in making that declaration? In God we trust. Uh, throughout this sermon, every single time you see that slide appear, what are you going to say? Yes, we are going to work together uh, throughout this sermon. Uh, this declaration, in God we trust, is going to serve today as the rudder that's going to help us navigate our way through Mark chapter 13. Uh, we're continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, and today we come to what I, I believe is the most difficult chapter in the entire Gospel uh, of Mark. And so this, this, um, this motto, our national motto, in God we trust, is going to help us as we work our way through. The reason that this chapter is so difficult is because Jesus is speaking prophetically. Uh, he's being asked when some things are going to happen, and, and he's answering about when the, the temple's going to be destroyed, but he's also answering about when he's going to return the second time, and and it's difficult to know when he's speaking about which of those. And, and sometimes he's saying something that applies to both. And so it's really hard to, to pin down exactly what he's saying here. But the thing that I don't want us to miss is that the whole point is this idea that we can trust God, trust him. If we were to get everything right and interpret it all perfectly and miss that, we've, we've missed the boat. Uh, this is what God is saying to us in Mark chapter 13. Trust me. Join me as we pray. Father God, your word tells us that if we do not stand firm in our faith, we're not going to stand at all. And so we pray through the power of your spirit and your word that you would strengthen us so that we might stand firm in our faith, trusting always in your power, and in your love, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, and we're going to work our way through the passage. It's a long passage. Eventually, we're going to do some, some jumping around, but uh, we'll start at the beginning here. As Jesus was leaving the temple... One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Every stone that you are now looking at is going to be thrown down. What Jesus said to the disciples was inconceivable. He might as well have just said, tomorrow the sun's not going to rise. To say that this temple was going to come, come crashing down, was going to be thrown down, the disciples couldn't comprehend that. The, the temple was the focal point of Jerusalem. This is an artistic rendering, obviously, but the, the temple was the focal point of, of Jerusalem. It's said that the temple, and just in terms of land, size of land, uh, the footprint of the temple, that it took up 15% of the city of Jerusalem. And so to say that, that is gonna, this incredible, magnificent building is going to be thrown down is just 
was tough for the disciples to comprehend. Not only was this an impressive building, but it was at the heart of what it meant to be Jewish. This was at the heart of their faith. I mean, it was considered that, that God dwelled here. This is where God chose to dwell with his people. This is where God had placed his, his favor. And for Jesus to say it's all going to be thrown down would cause them to consider if the temple's going to be thrown down, it's like our city is thrown down, which is like our faith is thrown down. So I was trying to think, how, how could we wrap our minds around what they would be experiencing? And, and the closest I can come to is, is 2001. Imagine you are a New Yorker, and it's the summer of 2001, and someone is going around the streets of New York saying, the World Trade Center Towers, they're all going to come down later this year. You would think that is inconceivable. I mean, not only are these, these towers impressive just in size, look at how they, they just reign over the, the skyline, but also in symbolism of what they represent. The, the world econ economy, the global economy, that the United States is a leader in the global economy, and that's all going to come crashing down. Again, it's, it's inconceivable. So this is probably how the disciples are feeling. It's upsetting to them. Jesus, remember, he had already said, I'm going to die. Like, we're going to Jerusalem, and when we're there, I'm going to die. And now, on top of that, he says, the temple is going to be thrown down. The ground is shifting underneath their feet. This idea of this kingdom that Jesus keeps talking about starting to feel a little bit like a fantasy. Have you ever experienced a season in your life where it felt like the ground was shifting under your feet? Or maybe worse than shifting, like the ground was just dropping out underneath your feet. Things that you trusted in, that you believed are going to be there for the rest of my life, evaporated or shifted on you. The Messiah dies. The temple is destroyed. Kings and kingdoms, they come, they go. Nations, they rise, they fall. Financial systems, they collapse. Pandemics rock the world. Families fracture. Loved ones die and leave us. Our bodies betray us. The psalmist describes it this way. The earth quakes and the mountains tremble and fall into the heart of the sea. With so much uncertainty, with so much instability, in what, in whom can we trust? All right, it's okay. Next time a little, with a little more gusto. In God we trust. If you do not stand firm in your faith, Isaiah warns God's people, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you're not going to be able to stand at all. But if you do stand firm in your faith, though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, you shall not fear. Why? For God is our refuge. 
and our strength. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're all about to be fulfilled? The question was predictable. It's what we do when we feel the ground shifting underneath our feet. We try to regain our footing, and we try to do that by getting all of our questions answered. Map it out for us, Jesus. Give us the, the, the moment-by-moment itinerary of everything that's going to happen. Why? So that we can feel like we're in control. So that, that we can be prepared for this. If you give us an itinerary of what's going to happen, then at least we're going to feel like we've got something to hold on to. Have you noticed that life has a way of revealing that our ability to control things is largely an illusion? Have you experienced that? That our ability to, to control things is, is, is largely an illusion? Eventually things happen that are beyond our control. If we realized how little control we actually had, we might be afraid to get out of bed in the morning. I mean, if the Messiah can be nailed to the cross, if this incredible, glorious temple can be thrown down to the ground, if a loved one can die, if my money can take wings and fly away, if the earth can give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, and I can't control any of it, what is there to hold on to? What is there to trust? Yes. We trust in a sovereign God who, unlike us, has absolute control. He's the sovereign one. He works everything out in conformity with the purpose of his will. He's never surprised. He's never outwitted. There is no variable that is unaccounted for in his rule. He'll never abandon his people, and he always, always has the last word. He's the author of the itinerary of this world. He's the author of the itinerary of your life. All of your days, the psalmist says, are ordained by him before even one of them comes to pass. Tell us, Jesus, they said. Give us the road map. When's this going to happen? And so everything that follows now in Mark chapter 13 is Jesus' answer to their question. But what we're going to observe is that his answer lacks specificity. Like if this is the answer to the question, when is it going to happen and what's going to happen? You've got to believe that after Jesus is done, the disciples are still clueless. Tell us, when is this going to happen? Instead, Jesus wants to just get us to be able to say this. Yes. 
that wasn't Sue's fault. That was because I was off my manuscript. <laughs> Verse 5, Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. That wasn't much of a map that he just gave them. There's going to be false messiahs. There's going to be wars. Nation's going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be earthquakes, and there's going to be famines. And the question when I read that that I was wondering is, is there any time in history where that hasn't been true? Is there any time in history where there hasn't been wars? And nations in conflict with one another and, and kingdoms rising and falling and, and earthquakes and famine? I don't think so. So unless the wars and the national conflict and the earthquakes and the famines become of such frequency and such incredible magnitude that, that it's different than everything else, this isn't much of a roadmap. And even if that's the case where it becomes of great frequency and great magnitude, what does Jesus say? This is only the beginning of birth pains. Like, we still don't know. So why didn't Jesus give them a, a clearer map, a more defined itinerary? I wonder if it was because of this. Jesus knew that the, the questions that the disciples were asking were driven by this desire to establish some solid ground, to, a desire to take control. And what he's saying is, I'm your solid ground. I'm your solid ground, and that's enough. Instead of giving them the map that they wanted, he gives them the posture that they should take. Continuing reading, look at this. You must be on your guard. This is the posture. You must be on your guard. You're going to be handed over to the local councils. You're going to be flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must be first preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and you're brought to trial, don't be worried beforehand about what to say. Say whatever is given to you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Boy, the good news just keeps on coming. The Messiah's going to die. The temple's going to be thrown down. And then you're going to be arrested. You're going to be flogged. You're going to stand trial with no defense, no one to stand up and, and defend you. Just 
relying on whatever the Holy Spirit gives you in the moment, some of your own family members will betray you. Children betraying their parents even to the point of death. And you're going to be hated. You're going to be hated by the very people to whom I'm calling you to proclaim the gospel. And I imagine the disciples saying, man. And I imagine Jesus saying, welcome to my world. Welcome to my world. So the question is, what does this all mean for us today? Because I, I believe most of that was in relation to the, the temple. But what does it mean for us today? As much as we might like to think that this was a, a word just spoken to the disciples, I do think there's a word here for us. And, and the message behind it is that we can and we should anticipate suffering. Jesus' charge to Peter, to James, to John, and Andrew was to be on your guard. And his charge to us is the same, be on your guard. I was thinking about it this way. What is the superpower that God has given the church? I know that's not a biblical question. That's just a, an interesting question. What is the superpower that God has given the church? Obviously, it's the Holy Spirit. But beyond that, as I thought about it, you know where I arrived? The superpower that God has given the church throughout history is the ability to suffer. Is the ability to endure, to stand, trusting in God in the midst of great suffering. All throughout history, the way God has expanded his kingdom, grown his kingdom, is through his people suffering and not giving up hope, clinging to the, the truth of the gospel. Think about the people he's speaking to right now, the disciples and those early believers. They would, some of them would be crucified themselves, and they were willing to be crucified rather than concede their faith. They'd be willing to be fed to lions rather than to proclaim Caesar as Lord. We will not say that. Jesus is Lord, and consequently, they're fed to lions. They'd face imprisonment, just like Jesus said. They would face flogging. They were willing to be hated on account of their trust in the Lord. This just wasn't the first disciples. All throughout history, we've seen this. I was reading a, about a, a man named Watchman Nee this week. He was a, a Christian uh, evangelist in China, and, and because of his ministry, he was sent to prison for two decades. But today, the reason, one of the reasons the church is blown up in China can be traced all the way back to this man named Watchman Nee. All along, God has used people who are willing to suffer for him to grow his kingdom. Are you willing to have your hope of a nice, quiet, peaceful life disrupted for the sake of the gospel. That's a tough question. Are you willing to have your hope of a nice life, a quiet life, a peaceful life, 
disrupted for the sake of the gospel. Well, as long as it doesn't happen between 12 and 3 today when I'm watching the bears. It's a laugh, but it's a sad laugh. As long as it doesn't require me to give anything other than out of my abundance, to give sacrificially, as long as I can really be the one who still has control and I get to call the shots, am I willing, are you willing to have our hope for a nice, quiet, peaceful life disrupted for the sake of the gospel? And I want to say, let's start by confessing that the answer is mostly no. Mostly no. And that's not just something for us to confess and then move on as if it's okay, because it's not okay. That's something for us to confess and then repent of, which means we're going to do something different going forward. God, you have the right, you have the authority to disrupt my life if it means the advancement of the gospel, if it means me loving my neighbor, disrupt my life. And give me the, the grace to allow that to, to happen. The equation hasn't changed. The superpower that God has given us is the ability to suffer for him, the ability to have our life disrupted, to persevere through all things, Endure all things with a resolute declaration. This is how God has chosen to advance his kingdom. We have been incredibly blessed, unusually blessed, to have known such little persecution, such little suffering. Consequently, Jesus' admonition is all the more important. Be on your guard. Don't be lured into a false sense of security. Be on your guard. So in the following verses, verse 14 through 22, Jesus is addressing the destruction of the temple, but some of the things he's saying also apply to his, his second coming. So the disciples asked, when's this going to happen? Give us the roadmap, and here's Jesus' answer. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house or take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in the winter because those days will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So, here it is again, be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. I've told you everything ahead of time. Did you get all that? 
crystal clear? I gotta believe that's exactly what the disciples were feeling also. Like, wait a second, what? Can we go through that one more time? Remember Thomas when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll come back and take you. And what did Thomas say? Look, whoa, hold on. We don't know where you're going. How can we follow you? Let's go through this one more time. I think that's what they're experiencing right here. Why was Jesus so cryptic? I mean, he could have been crystal clear on such and such a date. This is what to expect. Instead, he's speaking prophetically. Well, in 70 AD, so in just probably a few years after this was written, the prophecy of the destruction of the temple was fulfilled. The Roman general and soon-to-be emperor Titus came and he leveled the temple. The abomination that causes desolation was likely the setting up of a, an image in the temple, maybe a, a statue of the, the emperor or a statue to a, a pagan god. So again... Rather than trying to pin everything down, and, and I don't want to discourage you from doing that, spend time with this. But instead of, of doing that, there's two things that we can't miss. One, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Keep your head about you. Don't be misled. Don't be deceived. And two, trust in God. Don't give up hope. Whatever happens, don't give up hope. Bad things are going to happen. It's going to be difficult. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. His hand is still on the steering wheel of history. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, you shall not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge and ever-present help in times of trouble. I'm going to skip to the very end of the chapter, and then we're going to circle back. We are almost done, so stick with me. Keep in mind, the disciples have asked, when's this going to happen? What's going to happen? Map it out for us. Look at verse 32. Nobody knows. Nobody knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. The disciples had just asked Jesus a question for which he didn't have the answer. He couldn't answer because he didn't know. God and his sovereignty, God the Father, decided this is something reserved for the Father. The Son's not going to know when it's all going to take place Jesus prophesies about the destruction of the temple. I think he knows that. But about the second coming, only the Father knows. And so if God the Father decided this is something that only I'm going to know, the angels aren't going to know, Jesus isn't going to know, do you think he wants us to have the complete map, the complete itinerary of when all of these things are going to happen? I don't. Does that mean we're just ignorant and we put our heads in the sand? No, just the opposite. What does he say over and over again? Be on your guard. Be alert. Don't forget there's a shot clock. It's winding down. We don't want a yellow flag thrown. I'm back in the football. We don't want the flag thrown because the shot clock got to zero. Trust me. I'm going to close with this observation. Why? You know why we don't need to have all of our questions answered when it comes to Jesus' return? 
It's because it's going to be so obvious, so clear, that there's no chance that you're going to miss it. Look back at verse 24. In those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its life light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He'll send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. When it happens... We're all going to know. Everyone living on planet Earth is going to know when it happens. And so instead of clinging to some kind of illusion that we can control any of it, what God asks of you is to trust him. Trust me. And at the heart of our trust is not the conviction that we're going to be able to hold on to God through it all. That's not my trust. I know my grip. My confidence is in God's grip in my life. And so the the question we close with is, are you ready? Are you ready? And if you have yet to put your hand into the hand of God, into the hand of your Savior, Savior, may I suggest you're not ready. You're not ready. The shot clock is winding down. Jesus is going to return or you may die. One of those is going to happen. What what order it happens in, I don't know. But if you have yet to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not ready. This is what God is calling you to do today. This is what it means. Be on guard. Be alert. It means make sure that, that you're in good standing with the Lord, that he can return any day. It doesn't matter if it's tomorrow. It doesn't matter if it's 100 years from day, whenever it is. When he returns, when I die, if I have placed my hand in his hand, I'm putting my hope and trust in him that those words on the screen are more than just a motto, just something we put our, on currency. It's like actually the, the truth of my heart. I am trusting in God. Then you're ready. So the questions for you today are, are these. One, are you willing for God to disrupt your life? Your hope of a quiet peaceful, nice life. And my hope for all of us is that the answer would be yes. Because I think as soon as it's yes, we're going to see some amazing things. God's going to change the world. He's going to change our community. He's going to change us. And are you ready? Have you put your hand into the hand of God? Join me as we pray. Lord, uh, we proclaim all the time that that we trust you, and and may that be more than just words. Lord, may that really be the truth of our heart, and we thank you that uh, your grip uh, on our life never lets go. Once we place our hand in your hand, you never let go. Lord, our hope and our trust is in you. Amen.